What can art say about the kingdom of God? A lot, it turns out, as we talk to graphic designer, children's book illustrator, author, and printmaker, Ned Bustard, after the music. Welcome to the Upwards Podcast, an initiative of Upper House on the campus of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Through meaningful conversations, we explore the life of the mind and questions of the soul to enrich our university, our community, and the church. Be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on your preferred podcast service, and check out our upcoming events at upperhouse.org. Welcome back to Upwards. I'm your host, Dan. Those of us who are Christians inevitably ask ourselves at some point, does what I'm doing contribute to the kingdom of God? And how? In this episode, we discuss how artists are key contributors to kingdom work. We welcome artist Ned Bustard, who sits down with our Upper House Associate Director, Cam Anderson, for an in-depth conversation. They discuss how they both grew up as artists in the church and about their struggles to discover how their callings fit into their faith commitments and faith communities. Ned Bustard is a graphic designer, children's book illustrator, author, and printmaker. He holds a BA in communication design from Millersville University of Pennsylvania, and he's the creative director at Square Halo Books. He serves on the boards of the Association of Scholars of Christianity in the History of Art and the Row House, Inc. Unknown to most people outside of Upper House, Ned is also one of the key graphic designers we work with here, from icons on our website to layouts for brochures and publications. We're thankful to be able to collaborate with Ned regularly in our work, and we're glad we could feature some of his own work in a recent talk he gave in our space, which you should watch through the link in our show notes. We hope you enjoy this Upwards conversation with Cam Anderson and Ned Bustard. Ned, we're, we, I'm really happy to have you here at Upper House. I'm glad because I'm happy too. That makes two of us. It's going to be much more enjoyable that way. Yeah, your plane pretty much came in on time and... We got you all settled in the apartment, and uh, we're going to get a lot of time to catch up with each other. Some of what we'll do, we'll do some of that right now, probably. Um, probably, yeah. But um, you're going to do two things with us here at Upper House while you're here. You're going to give a lecture tomorrow at noon um, called... Every Medium Holy. Every Medium Holy. Um, I'd like to hear more about what that's going to be. And then we've got a printmaking workshop. You're going to lead a group of 24 of us to make prints all day on Saturday. Hands it's going to be a fun, fun time. Yeah. I think it is. We're going to get our hands dirty, making real art. So what have your thoughts been as you've been prepping for tomorrow's talk? Uh, well, my one thought is uh, I you know, work at home by myself. Uh, I suffer, as many artists do, from imposter syndrome. So the idea that I'm here and people are supposed to take what I have to say seriously is a little overwhelming. My my wife has been uh, working diligently, I think for the last six months to 12 years, to try to break me of any self-deprecating. More like 12 years, I think. Yeah, yeah. I was, okay. it, probably 12 to 24. Um, yeah, th- th- that's something that I really... Uh, I struggle with that, though I, I've got some new friends in Ireland recently. I've, I had a trip to Ireland and made some friends, and one of the uh, guys told me that in Ireland, uh, 
they always want to take the piss out of you. That no one's allowed to think too highly of themselves. And I'm third generation Irish. So I now I, I realize it's not that I've got mental problems. It's just that I'm Irish. So I'm, I'm always trying to, you know, be a little bit more humble, a little, think a little bit less of myself. Um, I, I hear people, I, I use this term imposter syndrome myself all the time. I was glad that someone ex gave it to me because I was like, oh, that explains, that explains a lot. Why, yeah. Ooh, now I know what my now, problems now are. Now I know what your problem or At least your problem some of them. Is. Yeah, one, at least, yeah. So, um, but, so that, that was the term you offered when yeah. I asked you, what yeah. are you going to talk about tomorrow? And you said, oh, imposter syndrome. <laughs> That's so. right. No, tomorrow I'm going to talk about... Are we going to recover from that tomorrow? The, no, we, we're not. We I'm going to will. avoid that. Tomorrow I'm just going to put a smiley face on and be confident. And people will think, oh, wow, he's one of those artists that have it all together. So you're going to be an imposter syndrome I, imposter, denier. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. denier. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So what do you think you will talk about tomorrow? Well, I say that because every time we have artists in to talk, they say, oh, we're going to talk about X, Y, and Z. Then they stand up and they do ABC. Right? Yeah. So I, yeah. no, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't trust our friends. Basically. I, I, well, I, I, I understand why. I know why. No, I, I was, I actually was going over my notes the other night and I printed out the uh, promotional information that was on Instagram about tomorrow's talk. And I gave it to my wife and I said, this is what they're expecting me to say. What do I, like, am I even close to that? And she's like, I don't want to talk about this. So she was no help at all. Um, but no, I was looking through it and uh, basically what I'm going to be talking about is the journey, my journey, you know, it's one of those things that I can talk about. I know it uh, from just growing up in the church and uh, coming to be an artist, wrestling through that at the time in the church that I have grown up in. It was a, a distinctive part of, of the church's history. And then really my, my professional life uh, and, and the, the trajectory that it has gone on. So with the different places I've worked and uh, different projects that I've, I've put my hand to and the surprises to me of where I've landed yeah, in yeah. a lot of ways. So in our circle of friends and beyond, um, the way you started your story is way I might start mine and other people grew up in the church and then realized I was an artist or became an right. artist and there's a lot of space between that grew up in the church and then became an artist yeah that that has really been my story and it's fun to I mean you and I are friends we have other friends who have grown up in this that you grow up in a, a church the church at the time uh certainly the the corner of it that I was in, there was no room for the arts. And that was a common, uh, it has, I've learned that that's a common problem, that that wasn't unique to me. Um, what I find interesting is I think that younger Christians aren't having that problem. No, as I don't think they do. No. And, um, which I think is good, but I think that they have their own problems. And, and you know, and I think that, I mean, that's a whole nother uh, probably another podcast that we can talk about that. But for my, for me, I grew up, uh, I was born in the late sixties, grew up in the seventies. My grandfather was a minister, uh, good dispensationalist minister. So he's, 
he's coming from a, a certain theological and historical framework. Um, as I said, I'm third generation uh, Irish, so immigrant you know, grandparents. There's um, they were Irish, so poor Irish in Philadelphia. I'm coming from a very um, earthy background, but a, a, a very devout background. My grandfather was a, a minister for 40 years, as I said. His grandfather was a church sextant, but went on, uh, was a soapbox preacher on the cor- corner of streets in his free time. So we've got that kind of background. Right. My grandmother became a Christian. Her, her father was a, a drunk Irishman, as all dr- Irishmen are. And and she and that's the that's the world that I'm growing up in a very teetotaling, uh, very um, very devout, very uh, earnest evangelistic family. Um, I was then raised by um, raised in the church. My family we went to church every you know when the doors are open we were there three times a week. Uh, well, we didn't do three times because we lived too far away from the church for uh, the mid uh, midweek thing. Yeah. But I went to a Christian school that was oh, Baptistic, yeah. so all my friends were doing that, and that was very much the. Um, though I grew up in a, a, my church denomination was Reformed Episcopalian, which is um, really the ACNA right now, so the Anglican. Right. But my I went grade school K through twelve in an independent Baptist, so I'm I'm living in both of these worlds, very, very uh, uh, revivalistic. Uh, very pragmatic. We, uh, you know, there was always the phrase, we don't polish brass on a sinking ship. Uh, if you don't know what that phrase is, listener, just be thankful. <laughs> and uh, then there was really no room for the arts. Now, my father was, uh, uh, went to Wheaton for music, and he was the music director at our church. Music was definitely so, acceptable. So those arts were that's, that's very of great importance. My, my mother, too, yeah. Uh, grew up, and she's a painter, and she's, uh, uh, she would say she's a poor painter, but she was definitely interested in the arts. So she saw that in me and developed that in me as she could, so gave me extra lessons as a child, like on the side, because you don't get that in school. I like, did not realize your, I've never heard before that your mother was a painter. Was there a point, you say growing up in the church, mm-hmm. realizing you're an artist, did that was that something that dawned on you kind of gradually, like, hey, I'm an artist? Or, or was there some kind of oh, moment yeah. and you went, oh my goodness, this is who I am? Um, there was definitely, uh, I saw that I loved, I loved making. So I, I can still think, think back to first grade, uh, I guess it was over lunch break, drawing a crayon picture of the Justice League, Superman, Batman, Aquaman. That kind. Right. And I remember... Um, so I, I, you know, I collected comic books, which was a very ungodly thing to do. A very worldly thing. Yeah, to, yeah. yeah. Which I had a friend whose dad was a uh, a Baptist minister, and I would bring comic books over, and he was so concerned for his son because I was this bad influence on him. Right. Uh, but I, I definitely had that that interest to draw. I drew all the time. My mom gave me a drawing book. I remember early on, so that I wouldn't lose my drawings, and yeah. so that was that was very. Were you much, allowed to draw in church? Mm, I don't remember. I think I was. Yes. Yeah, I think I was because I, yeah. So it was a liberal conservative church. No, no, it was just that, I guess that was just to keep me from yeah. 
getting in trouble. But yeah, I would I would draw in church. Um, and and also I went to, like I said, a Christian school. There was art, but it was, you know, it was the class that you had on, you know, third period or no, like ninth period on Wednesday or something. Right. And it was swapped out with something else if if anything conflicted, that right. kind of class. Um I because I was a small Christian school, I was the artist. So I was and that so I was good for making handouts. I could draw pictures for the librarian. I did posters, and that was all okay. Well, that's what um, I did when, when, when I was in college and joined a campus ministry group, InterVarsity. They found out I was an art major, and they put me to work making posters immediately. Yeah. yeah. Well, in, uh, InterVarsity, I, I always tell people I majored in InterVarsity in college that uh, I didn't really, that was my life. And I was, again, the token artist in that right, group as well. Right. Uh, one of my favorite stories, and I don't know if this is helpful for anyone, but I'm going to tell you um, that um, my um, campus minister in our chapter was giving uh, a talk about how you can really serve Jesus and love him more. And I think this is actually, it's helpful because it, it captures my entire ethos and understanding of art and faith. He said, "If you wow, really, this better be a good story." Oh, this is great because yeah. I'm, you know, I'm sold out to InterVarsity. I'm at every meeting. I'm dying to be in leadership. They never put me on exec. I was still regret that. Um, but I'm in this meeting, a large group meeting. He's preaching this this week, and he's talking about really being sold out for God. And if you're really sold out for God, you'll you'll make those hard decisions to live a holy and godly life. I'm tracking all the way through. He said, now, for example, when I was in college, my roommate had a drawing class and they had to draw nudes. So he lived out his faith by going up to the, the teacher and telling the teacher, can I do still lifes instead of the nudes because of my faith? I'm melting into the floor <laughs> because everyone in the room knows me well enough they're looking at me because I'm taking drawing two taking, right now. You're taking the figure drawing class I right am, now. Yeah. I am right now. And he's, he's doing this. So for me, that kind of captures the dilemma. If you really love Jesus, you're going to be a minister, you're going to be a missionary, and you're certainly not going to draw naked people. Right. And that was, that was where I was. And I love Jesus. So what do I do? And that was my problem. Um, and it took me from college, maybe 10, 15 years to kind of unpack that. And, and, and what's interesting for me is that really set my trajectory in that I needed to develop a theology for art and faith. So I read everything I could. And when I got married the second year, I discovered, uh, well, I, I heard an interview with Ed Nippers, a, a painter who we're friends with. And I was like, oh my goodness, this guy's the real deal. Yeah. And I got to see one of his shows. Right. And then I met Sandra Bowden because she was at the show because she's friends with, and he, she was a, an, uh, a great Christian artist. And I became a member of Christians in the Visual Arts, Siva. And I've been a member for almost 30 years. And that was like, oh, okay, there are people out there who are doing this. And combining that with the fact that I'm reading everything I can get my hands on, uh, which in the early 80s is like four books. So it, it, right. it, I went through really quickly. I got, right. got that. But that, that also plays into Square Halo books and a lot of the things that we publish 
because it was my desire to figure out how do I serve the Lord as an artist um, doing my art and not seeing those in conflict, but being, having my, my work serve the kingdom. So Square Halo Books is your publishing house. Did, did you start it? I did not. What, unfortunately, most people think I did, and that most is... Most of us do, right. It is my, it is my company. It's actually um, when I was in high school, um, my family, uh, we helped start a uh, church plant uh, off, of, off of my grandfather's church, and uh, our first pastor was uh, A.D. Bauer, Alan Bauer, who is, was um, our first published author in Square Halo Books. I became good friends with he and his wife, Diana, and fast forward several years, he is teaching at a seminary in Maryland, doing great material. The students are loving it. They say, um, where can we read this? They're like, it's my own stuff. I can't, you can't. And, you know, he discovered that they said, well, you should publish. He tried to publish, found out how hard it is to get published. Very hard. Very hard. And um, people were interested, but they're like, it, it sounds too different. We need you to make it sound like everything else. And he's like, well, why would I do that? You know, if there's everything else is already out there, there's no right, reason. Right. And that was when um, his wife decided we need to start a publishing company. And I said, that's a horrible idea because you're going to lose money, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, no, no, this is what we need to do because there's people out there that have a good book in them, but they don't have a platform. Right. And right. Let's, let's make sure that they can they can be published. So uh, that's when Square Halo started. So I was uh, a third of the, the, the team. And uh, so they started it and I, I jumped on and, and it, was, it was after our first or second book. That's when I introduced um, the idea, pitched the idea of doing the book, It Was Good, Making Art to the Glory of God. Oh, way, yeah, way back yeah, in, in it, the beginning. It yeah. was because they, we were going to just do theolo theology books. That was what we were going to be kind of like PNR or some, right, another press right. like that. Um, had no, in, no, no inkling that we were going to go that way. So but, making art to the glory of God, that had how many art featured features? How many artists? Well, now it's, it's over 20, I think, but it's in its second printing. Ah, like I expanded and revised yeah, it. Yeah. Um, the first one probably had 15. Now that's one of those stories in and of itself that, I really see God's work because I had read everything I could on art and faith. I remember getting to the end of, I think, Liberated Imagination by Leland Riken. And I was like, great. I now understand that it's good for me to be an artist and a Christian. I'd read that. I read uh, State of the Art. I, you know, I, uh, uh, Walking on Water. I read... Um, Madeline Langle. Madeline Langle. Right? Madeline Langle is Walking on Water and... Uh, Art and Art the, the Bible, Bible by Francis Schaeffer yeah. were the two things that saved me. Yeah. I would I would have lost it right. without those two right. books. So I've read all these books and I'm like, okay, I understand. I've now got a theology. I understand that God made me to be an artist. This is a good thing. Now what? Yeah. And that's where that book came out. But I only knew like one or two of the people who actually ended up writing for me. I was like, I pitched the idea to my partners. I'm like, I think we should write a, have a book where people basically tell me what to do next. So all the people that, well, they're all, all the people in that book now are friends of yours, but a lot of those were cold calls then for you. Oh, well, it was, it was an, a time in my life that I saw God's hand because 
without the Holy Spirit working, that book would not exist because I d- literally did not know the people yeah, in the yeah. book. And, um, and since then, it, you know, that, that has grown and I've been blessed in, in many ways. But that was when Square Halo, and this is like 2000, yeah, uh, came out and our company then took this right turn and became an art and faith publisher because we found we found a, a part of the church that wasn't being taken care of that we could speak into and there was a real hunger for uh we we you know the church has enough devotionals on the book of john or something you know that, right. that that's been done but uh artists of faith really were hungry for for good books because you're you're right at the time uh because we've kind of grown up about in tandem with each other, right? I'm a little bit older. A little probably. bit, not a lot. Not a little bit. We're both old white men. But, uh, yeah, we would both mention those same four or five books probably. And Cause the that thing was is, there wasn't anything yeah. else out there yeah. now. And Now, I, there was another book that I did not know at the time, uh, Rainbows for the Fallen World by Calvin Cerville. Calvin Cerville. But I found out about it because one of my writers, uh, who's Bill Edgar, who's an uh, apologetics professor at Westminster Theological. And a jazz musician. And a jazz musician. Just wrote a book, great book on, the, on jazz that's imp- hugely impressive. He and I were talking about this book project, and he was one of the few people that I knew to reach out to. He said, well, of course you've read Calvin Cerville. And I said, who? And that was a great example of even in the little the little bit of books that there were to read, I, I still, there was still... Well, there I was one know. more, Nick Walterstorff. Art and Action. Art and Action. I read that one too. That was one I had read, but not... That, that was a know. really difficult book at that time. It was hard. It was hard for me. But we, when we talk generationally, I think, so... Yeah, for the 10, resources, 10, feet, there were, there you and a, I are the same person. Yeah, yeah, there weren't a lot of resources at the no. time. And that's been one of the exciting things to watch is just... I mean, now, by comparison, I feel like we have this super abundance of just fine, fine books to read and Oh, podcasts. and just the, the, the church as a whole is more open right. to the arts. Now, what I would say is they're open to the arts, but have they... Well, my grandmother, bless her soul, she would not come to my wedding rehearsal because there was dancing. And I respect that. That was she was doing that out of Christian conviction, and she wrote me this long letter uh, about why she wasn't, and and gave me her life story, and and that was, and she was doing that out of conviction. I respect that. I think that what we see, what I would see now, which would concern me, is that we have people who are embracing the arts, but they don't know why. It's just, it's not necessarily that they've thought through the through all these things theologically and they've read their scriptures and they've read art in the bible or art for god's sake or or right. or, <clears throat> or naming the animals which is a new book that we just came out with i'm very excited about these are these all present a good biblical understanding of creativity right to the glory of god i don't see that happening i see people saying well i've got adobe creative suite and i can make art right. and and it's cool well like, in a way I mean, this is one of the things that concerns me about digital media is that the tools are all so powerful that yeah, you can you know we feel like I'm a photographer, I'm a writer, I'm a filmmaker, I'm 
because, yeah. because the the sophisticated tools are so powerful and give you some immediate success. Instant gratification almost, and, yeah. And, and satisfaction, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and furthermore, I think uh, I read uh, Jeremy Begbie talked about uh, a loss of scriptural imagination. And that phrase, I think, really is, for me, captures the problem that we as artists need, certainly visual artists, need to have a scriptural imagination. Uh, growing up when we did uh, in, the, in the church and in, in the art and faith discussion, there was this uh, recoil in us against the phrase Christian artists because right. we, we wanted to make art. Right. We didn't want to make Christian art, which right. meant we didn't want to make art that had a fish on it or it just had to have Jesus and lambs and little, you know, Right. cute little angels or we, even or even work that we felt was primarily about evangelizing right we, right it, that it didn't have to because that's where you know i'm making posters you're making posters right for university this is this is art in service of uh the propaganda now i believe the propaganda but that was that was what it was for right we we wanted to get away from that we wanted to make art that was you know art for art for the sake of art for that, art you know and this, or as Leland Reichen would say, art for God's sake. Right. Uh, right. Not Leland, Le- Le- his son, uh, Phil Reichen. So, and I'm, I'm all on that page. But I'm coming from a background that's just rooted in, in Scripture. So I'm, my work is, it may not be evangelistic or even um, look Christian, as it were, but it's, it's coming out of that background. Yeah, so the question is, well, is there a biblical basis for doing this, right? Um, I, me, me, I think that was the kind of question I was asked to raise, and yeah. I still like the question. I it's a good question. Say, yeah. I mean, I think that, that it's a question I would challenge everyone to ask. Is there a biblical foundation for you to be an accountant? Some kind of mandate. Like, it, yeah, yeah. There, there has to be. You have to, you have to give me an, you know, are you, now you're a plumber. How are, is this something that is within God's will? I mean, you have to ask that question, I think. Um, now, is there a verse that we can point to about plumbing? I don't know. Moses struck the rock, water came from there. I guess we could do that one. I don't know. Anyway. So, okay, I want to go all the way back to Square Halo, early Square days. Square Halo books, right? Square Halo books. Yeah. I, I, Were you a graphic? Very, at very least, I think it, we have to say, if you're listening to this podcast, do not try to diagram this conversation at all because it's all over the place. It's a, like an automatic drawing, Ned. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It makes but sense did to you, somebody. W- when you started helping out, or you got involved at first. Were, were you working as a graphic designer right from the oh, get-go? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had that was my day job at the time. I was a. I was working for. A, did you major in graphic design? Well, I'm so old that they it wasn't a major that you could have at my school. Now, again, I went to the college I went to because uh, they had InterVarsity. My, my pastor friend, who ended up being my partner for Square Halo, said his advice is find a school that had InterVarsity so you can be part of InterVarsity. So I, this is why I went to the school. It had InterVarsity. It was a state school. It was close to home. It had a good name. It also had an art department and a business department. Uh. I was going to be a business major because I was going to take over the family business. Ah. Uh. Then I found out how much math you had to do. And I was like, yeah, that, I, I, I know that God's will is I not be an artist, but God's will is definitely that I not be a Not be a major. mathematician or Yeah, a that's not going to work at all. And then I, I said, well, I, I need to, I, I can do graphic design. Because I had heard there was one person that I knew who had been a professional artist 
and he had been a graphic designer. My dad had, had, had introduced me. Of course, he loved God so much that he then became a minister and put right. away the, his childish things. Childish things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was my uh, only exposure to that. So I went to, so I studied communication design is what they called it. And this is before computers. So um, like everything that folks have now, I had to learn, you know, on the so fly. So you were doing on. press type by hand. Oh, yeah. Uh, cutting ruby lifts and, and all that sort of thing. Not doing it well, but that's what I was doing. Yeah, so I, I went, to, that was what I went to school for. I got a job right out of college doing that. Uh, then got married, had to uh, move and got another job. Uh, George Bush Sr. and his recession hit. I lost my job. Then I went to work retail and music for a while, the music store, because I loved rock and roll. Then I got a job again in graphic design. And at this point, I'm working for a, a guy in a small design firm when Scorhala starts. So as... Which is more information than anyone ever needs. Well, but, no, because... You know, what, there what, you go. What's interesting to me, though, is that as this little publishing house has grown up... 25 um, this year. Yeah. Uh, not only have you been a graphic designer, you've become a bookmaker and... Mm -hmm an editor, um, then doing more recently highly creative children's books that really are your art loving, and yeah. your writing and you design all together, yeah. published a couple with InterVarsity Press. So, I mean, it's interesting right here, you work with Square Halo Press and, but now there's another publisher actually publishing books oh, yeah. that, that you're making, right? Yeah, and so, I've done stuff with Crossway as well. So I just feel like, uh, one of the things I enjoy about you is that you are so cross-platform or so multi-platform, right? That you, right, right. Well, you, my dad you do had this his whole own... range of things well, and they all connect in you. Yeah, my dad had had a. Um, uh, he was an entrepreneur. He started his own company uh, when I was a kid, and I think growing up in that environment, um, I realized a couple things. One is. I have to wear a lot of hats to get the job done because that's what my dad had to do. I also realize that um, I don't have the luxury of outsourcing a lot of things. It has to get done and I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. So I, a lot of things I just don't think about being um, a challenge because I just, I'm more focused on, on the end product and yeah. I need to get this, this thing accomplished. And, it, and being an uh, entrepreneur too, you, you have this, the idea that uh, I realized that my paycheck is not being paid by someone else. That's like right. I have a great understanding of you have to do the work and then you get paid. A lot of people, they, they're like, they get paid for just showing up at work and, and they can sit around the, the, the coffee bar and just like talk all day. I'm like, no, you can't, we have things to do. And I think that that, that uh, understanding of the bottom line probably drives a lot of those things. And then I'm interested in, in different, a lot of different yeah, things. Yeah, lots of things. I, I mean, this was sort of going to go along with a question that, you know, having learned all the things you've learned along the way, and you're still learning, of course, what, what would you say to younger people like a college student just wanting to get into the biz these days? What would you... Well, I have no idea what to tell them. No <laughs> idea at all. 
What? Uh, but could you take? Could you? Um, what I've learned. Could you take from your come. story, though? The could you distill a couple of the more important things you learned along the way? Like I think you as just a graphic said, designer to well, just in this whole kind of enterprise that you've been involved in, like you just pointed out, like you don't work for somebody else that provides the paycheck. So right, right. Well, you, that was one thing you got to do the work. Yeah, I, I had a uh, a young man in our church who I was friends with. And he was, I think he was a youth pastor for a while, but then he was going to go out on his own and he wanted to do filmmaking. And I'm like, great. I'm like, let's go, let's start, let's start talking this through. Now, spoiler alert, he ends up doing it and he's doing fine by himself yeah. and that's great. Thanks be to God. Uh, but I said, all right, what, what is the most important thing you need to do every week? And he goes, well, I, I guess, you know, make good films. I'm like, no, invoice. <laughs> invoicing right, is the most right. important thing you do that is your job the other stuff i don't know what whatever you need to right, do do that right. but invoicing is what you need to do yeah um and you actually weren't joking around at that no point. no i was telling the honest truth that is you have to understand how this works right and and work how work works and work is you do thing uh you do things and then people pay you right and if you don't do things people don't pay you and and some folks don't understand that uh, I think that there's a lot of, I think a lot of our um, business world or, or just culture right now is separated from that. I think that we don't, you know, we don't see, uh, you know, I mean, I live in, in farmland. I see fa food being grown. A lot of us don't see that, you know, like I was cooking bacon last night and I was thinking someone had to cut up this pig and make this bacon for me and then put it in the package and ship it. I, I think that we've we've become so separated from the realities of life that we don't even think clearly anymore. It's like, well, bacon just appears right on my sandwich, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, and it's, it's I like the way it tastes. It's, yeah, I don't it, know why yeah. it tastes that way, but it it, it, comes it, just, it just comes Bacon's out. Bacon's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and um, so I think that there there's that 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 you have to really understand that aspect of it. the other thing is. This drives me crazy as people, uh, like I taught a class at Lancaster Bible College. It's a small college near us. Uh, it was basically teaching Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, kind of intro to design stuff. And I spent most of the class not teaching them the software because I said, we need to talk about basic design concepts. These are the ideas that are going to translate right. across platforms because I, a lot of times, we get the idea that, and I think that we do this culturally to, to people. We say, you, you need to go to school, to college, to learn a career. Right. It's like Votech. Like, hey, you're going to go, you're going to learn to repair trucks, and then you're going to get work at, you know, to repair trucks. Most of us, our jobs just aren't that way. And right. the job that I have now didn't exist when I went to school. I mean, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, people were making, you know, I make books, people made books there. But the industry has changed so much. I mean, right. you look at music. Right. I was talking to a friend who's a, a musician, talking about how to make a living as a musician. It's completely changed. I used to buy vinyl. Right. Then I was excited because I, I was able to buy CDs. And I was like, this is, we've reached the pinnacle of our society. Right. And now you don't even sell CDs anymore. That just doesn't, like people, oh, can, can I buy your CD? No. You just have to stream it like right. that. That's a, the change in our culture is, is seismic when it comes to just music. 
And so I, I would say that to anyone who's starting out as a creative, understand that where you're starting today is a land 10 years, 20 years from now, you won't even be able to remember. Right, right. Let alone give me the directions on how to get there. I mean, we have, we have GPS on our phone now. Like, I, I do sound like this old man, like, well, back in my day, we had a steam <laughs> you, you, engine. You really do. But I mean, it's, you have to anticipate. Like, if you don't know that, then you're going to be stuck. So well, what, I, just related to that, I want to ask. Um, About steam engines? What's that? <laughs> you're going to ask my question for me? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, where are we going to go from there? Hmm. No, the, it was just a, a, a simple question. And then I, then I want to talk for a little bit here before we finish up about what we're going to do together on Saturday. Um, we're both book lovers. and I, and I As all guess, people should be. Well, <laughs> here's kind of the question. I hear people say that folk don't read anymore. You know, younger generation doesn't read, and yet I still see places like Square Halo and publishing houses everywhere cranking out tons and tons of books. So, what's the story on this? On all these stories? Yeah. About, yeah, I think about it's, reading. Yeah, but um, I was really impressed several years ago. Uh, the uh, head of the NEA was. A poet, and his name is uh, Dana Joya. Dana Joya. Dana Joya. When he was in charge of the NEA, did this whole initiative to get people to read, and I think that that is something that certainly, as as Christians, we would want to encourage because we are we are people of the book, and we want people to read. Yeah, Ned, you mentioned the NEA and Dana Joya. What, oh, Dana what's, jo what's yeah. that? That's a National Endowment for the Arts. That's what. That's like the 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 promised land or the the golden goose that all fine artists want to get money from the government through them. And, uh, and that was one of the things that was crazy about what Dana, oh, and Maka was on the, uh, Maka Fujimura, Fujimura was, yeah. was on that at the same time. And uh, the fact that they were doing things about reading was, I'm sure, driving all these fine artists crazy because they wanted someone to underwrite their yeah, conceptual their crazy and, thing and, that and they were going to do. Yeah. yeah, That was going to offend somebody or another. That At that time, that was the... It was a very, very uh, sensationalist kind of thing. Very volatile, very open for debate. Uh, growing up early on when I was a kid, my dad and, and I watched the movie Fahrenheit 451 based on the book Fahrenheit 451. And in that movie, they're destroying books. And early on, I came to understand it's my job to save the books. We have to, that there's something uh, good like that. in saving books um, you don't even have to read them. You just have to have them. Oh, just to have them. <laughs> so, because we don't want to lose them. And um, uh, coming here, I had books in my, my suitcase and you know, people will say, uh, or when I'm shipping books right. as part of it, the, the person at the post office will say, are there any dangerous I items in this box? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, it's full of books. books. <laughs> There's ideas in there. And this joke never gets old to me. I tell it every but single time. do they time. ever laugh? No, they never do. They, they, <laughs> they're, they're very, uh, yeah, they have no sense of humor and they don't. They they're don't, not readers, apparently. They're not readers, <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, but I think as far as books, I mean, this, this, a similar question happened several years ago when e-books became a big right. thing. People right. were like, oh, well, this is a new thing. Kindle is, is it. Um, this is maybe 10 years ago. I remember, I remember my daughter getting a Kindle because she's a big reader. Her aunt gave her a Kindle. 
And she stopped using it because she said, I don't know what page I'm on. And just the, the physicality of reading a book, she missed that. Um, I think that there, there is, a, there is a, an experience, experiential aspect of books that we've come to realize we need. And I think that, that we're seeing that, that, you know, we, we go, you know, you go for uh, a year without having an Oreo cookie. And then you're like, wait a second, I need chocolate and I need cream between it. Uh-huh. And you say, I'm going to go buy some. And now I've got four different flavors to choose from. This is great. Uh, so I think that there's, there's that. I think that, uh, do I worry about our culture that the lack of reading, the lack of books? Yeah. I think that there's problems there. Um, and that's, I think, only going to get worse. I certainly, I'm, you know, I'm concerned about, uh, you know, especially coming after COVID, so many people, young people didn't learn to, you know, I'm talking like first and second graders didn't get to learn to read, right? Right, and, right. And we're giving folks um, uh, tablets so early that, that we're, I think we're working against. Um, Though, you know, related to that, I, well, I wonder if the ebook has sort of found its level, because I, I think there's a nice case to be made for that. You know, I see... Well, it's good for what People, it is. You, sure. You're, you're on a plane. Right. And if right. you have a device like that, it's easy to pull up. And, it is. Um, and and, the, and if, if you have, you know, my, two of my daughters live in New York. If you have to pay for an apartment, you don't want an apartment that can house all the books that you might want to read. So there is that. And I think there are books that you just read for information's sake. But I think that what I find is that some, some of us work, you know, we're on a screen all day long. And yeah. on our phones, our devices, then the experience of actually picking up a physical book, um, holding it in your hand, the tactile experience, even smelling it, is it's it new? Yeah. Is it new? Is it old? Whatever the... Um, if yeah, you being look a book at, publisher, my children, I've raised them well. They know what new books smell like. And that's a important... They're like, oh. This smells like a new book. <laughs> the printer's ink. Yeah, exactly. In some ways, I feel like it's a lovely little counterpoint to the screen time all day long. Like oh, a, yeah, yeah. Going to a different place. Um, I want to switch the conversation here as we get closer to the end of our talk. Uh, you are going to give a presentation and lecture tomorrow. And then on Saturday, we're going to do a day-long printmaking workshop here. So we've got... 24 folk coming in from age middle school on up to senior citizen, 24 Perfect. folks coming uh, to make prints. Um, so, and it filled up fast and the people went onto the wait list and were disappointed. Because they, they wanted an experience. It goes <laughs> so, along with the book thing. So right? what experience are they hoping to have? Uh, well, some the older ones will be wanting to rekindle their middle school life. And their seventh say, grade their experience. Their seventh grade right? art experience. Yeah, people will see my artwork and they say, print me. Wait, I did this in seventh grade. I'm like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. There's nothing complicated or advanced about what I do. I do what I do because I want to make art that is completely opposite of my copy-paste, copy-paste life on the computer as a graphic designer. Um, so I'm excited to have that that wide range. I think what is enjoyable. One of the things that's enjoyable about printmaking, and we're going to do line of cut prints, um, is 
there is a level of instant gratification. It's not, it's not the same level as some things that we would have um, in life, but you can make something without a lot of skill or a lot of um, experience. And so we'll, we'll take you from, from start to finish and it'll be a, a really exciting thing because by the end of the day, you'll have made artwork. And, um, and I'm excited about the cross-section of people because uh, my wife and I are very interested in intergenerational um, life. Uh, we started church about 25 years ago and uh, are very, that has always been an important thing for us is the intergenerational thing that we, society-wise, we tend to stratify people. And the idea of those kind of people all coming together and working and learning together, I think, is going to be a really sweet This will experience. be one of the most intergenerational things we've ever done here because... Well, it's a college certain, campus thing. That makes sense. Right. But. So there are already some university students and, and some older folk who come to programming here. And then some parents of kids who said, hey... Is it okay if my middle school or high schooler comes along too? So I think uh, it's going to be a, a, a fun mix. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and I, I mean, I think it's, again, because Upper House is dealing with college students that it's easy to get um, uh, tunnel vision. And I think an event like this helps us say, oh, yeah, this is what it is. All of life is what we're talking about. And we're talking about reaching all of life. Right, right. So you've led some of these printmaking workshops before. I have. I did one two weeks ago. In and you're doing College one in a couple of weeks, right? I am. It's, it, it strikes me as hilarious, again, because of the imposter syndrome. I, I dutifully follow a ton of really talented printmakers on Instagram, and I know what, the, what they do. But God has placed me in this place at this time, for such a time as this, as yeah. Esther was sold, and 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 I need to be thankful and take what God has given me and share it with folks who might know a little bit less than I do. And uh, it's a humble it's a humble medium, so I think it fits a ah, a yeah. humble guy who's just trying to yeah just trying to make a decent picture and and bring God glory through that. Well, I'm I just find it interesting that a group of people would look at a Saturday opportunity like this and say I. That's just something I want to do. Whether yeah, I've done I have this a hard before, time getting I, un- I, I, <laughs> my head around that. I just I want to try this out. I want to have this hands-on experience, and I don't mind doing this in some kind of a community either. Where other people are kind of watching what I do, and we're all kind of in it together. I think it's really interesting. I think it's beautiful, and I I think it's one of those things that we would we should be encouraging more often. That that especially in again going back to not that I'm a doom and gloom. I hate my my cell phone, but as we are so isolated from each other, to have those kinds of experiences, I think, is a, is a wonderful thing and that we should be trying to uh, generate those kinds of experiences for our friends and community. Um, do you have any reach goals for yourself? If you think out, oh, 10 years from now, any like big things oh. you want to do yet? I know you want to go back to Ireland. But oh, that, that, in, in I wasn't day. quite thinking that. No, but, like as far as career kind of stuff. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, whether it's or the great book you hope to publish or some new body of work you want to make or, I don't know, something you've 
when you get over the imposter syndrome and believe that you're... <laughs> no, I work through that. That's the thing. Oh, was, you oh, have worked through that. I, well, I no, I'm working through that. Okay, so when you here's get a, done with that and, story. I was talking and we to all the, realize that you're not. <laughs> it's we always are, we already annoying. know this, Ned. <laughs> no, I, I was talking to a, a young uh, student at the, the, this college I was, I was visiting, uh, went to the College of the Ozarks and did, they have an art show right now for me. And I did a, a workshop with them. And the one student came up and said, I heard you're an Enneagram One, which I don't know if that means anything to you, but that's a popular, you know, way to what is it like Myers Briggs and right, all that kind of right. stuff. And I, so I'm a reformer, and that that's and she goes, how do you deal with that the the um, need for perfection? And I said, well, I, first I quoted Edward Nippers. He says, um, I'm a perfectionist, but I'm not very good at it. And I said, secondly, <laughs> is that you never get over it. That 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 just that just haunts you. And I think that that's one of those things that I think as a young person, I thought that I would grow out of a lot of these things. And the older I realize, grow, I realize I'm not going to grow out of this. This is, yeah. this is who I am. These are it's the skill set I've been given. This, these are the weaknesses. These are the strengths. And I need to just work through those you know, things. Ned, I, I, I think that is such a wise statement. And I'm trying to catch it. only it. took me 55 years to get well, there. Well, okay. So. so, you know, 68, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. working on it. I, I had an experience a couple nights ago of reading a portion of a book that I've published. And um, while I was reading it to a group of people, I realized there was a typo in the book that I'd never seen before. It's yeah. been published. Second, second published, uh, I, I you know, you. republished right out there. I'd never seen it before. This is the worst thing about being a book publisher. It, when it I just, get books come, I, I, I've been able to find mistakes within the first 30 seconds yeah. of opening a book. And, you know, yeah, no, I'm sorry. And it's, so, just, yeah, so it's just the struggle. You want it to be perfect. You want it to be perfect, yeah. And all I could remember about that night, pretty much, I, I mean, I think <laughs> we had a good time together, <laughs> but I went to bed and I woke up in the morning and I thought, why is that typo in there? Why did I not see it? Yeah. Why did my publisher not see it? How come I'd never seen it before? It, it, and you're you have a good eye for those things too. That's I not, do. You know, there, I know. There are worked, some people. Yeah. We've worked on things before. We have. Uh, you have found many things that I had to go back and correct. So yes. So yeah, it's even more infuriating. Hundreds for you, actually, yes. right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you were saying that that was. But I was wondering about you know. A, a dream goal or a, or a big thing you might want to accomplish. Oh, right. Um, well, I mean, I if think I learning have a, a real dream, yeah. my, I, I've got this grandiose dream That's that will never happen. About. Well. Okay. I mean, there, there are things that I would like to accomplish in life, but my big dream that will never happen uh, is I would love to uh, illustrate and design a deluxe edition of the Chronicles of Narnia. Because in first grade, my teacher read to me The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I was hooked. And I've been a, I've, I've lost count how many times I've read them, read them to my children. It's something that really, to use Lewis's phrase, baptized my imagination. And if I could do that, that would be really great. I realize that I will never do that because HarperCollins owns the rights to that book and they've got other other agenda but yeah that that would be a, a a big dream i mean my my what i look forward the rest of the you know next 10 years i'd love to do more books with intervarsity i've done 
um, the Lucy Shaw book, but then I also have St. Nicholas, the gift giver. And then in February, I have uh, St. Patrick, the forgiver. And I would love to uh, have those be so wildly successful that people would say, well, you need to keep making those kinds of books. Because that was very, very satisfying for me to be able to make art that was in my style, that was rooted in church history and saints. And uh, I've got a whole list of people that I'd love to to do that. I've got a running list of of other prints I'd like to do. It, with me, there's never a lack of ideas, right, right. Uh, which drives my wife crazy. She's like, can you just shut up? Yeah. Because I don't want to hear about another idea. I want to keep making good books for Score Halo, uh, good books for the church. Um, yeah, I'd, I've never known you to be out of ideas. Yeah, it yeah, it's a curse. It always seems to be a, well, I don't think it's a curse at all. <laughs> I think it's a blessing to have this super abundance of ideas. And um, and the children's books you've been doing with InterVarsity Press, that, that's their first venture into the Yeah, that was another exciting thing. market, right? That was God, a, yeah, I was their first book. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that was just God's hand because they decided to do a kid's imprint and didn't tell anyone. And I pitched a book to an author who then knew them. And, and they're like, and then the, my book ended up being there. Their and all this book. was sort of happening during COVID and it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I, we, we bought a couple cop, copies of I'm the, glad. the St. Nick book. At IVP author discount, I might add. Well, of right? course, I wouldn't want you to have to pay full price. That would be horrible. But. And and gave it to our grandkids and to a, a little boy who lives next door. Um, yeah, I mean, talking about lovely uh, gifts. What what my my goals in life would be for the next five ten years, like those doing those books. If you had talked to me when I was in in college, right. That would have been a dream that I would say there's just no possibility. Back when you it. were making posters for InterVarsity. For InterVarsity, I would say, yeah. InterVarsity Press would never have me do a kid's never book. Never going to publish. Yeah, because they didn't have Start kids a new book, line yeah. of books for right. kids, and right. I'm going to be featured. Yeah. In it. yeah. <laughs> it's right. funny when you say that. You, yeah, if you actually said that in a sentence, it sounds absurd. Right. InterVarsity Press, you know, we know exactly what they're publishing. They're going to start a kid's line in like 30 years, and you're going to be their first book. You'll be the guy. I'll be, yeah, that even now, as we're saying it, though, I know it happened. I still find it hard to believe, but God is bigger than my imagination. Ned, thanks for such a good conversation. Thank you, Cam. We never have a bad conversation. We do not. That's the joy of it. We need to have more. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to check out our upcoming events on upperhouse.org. The Upwards podcast is supported by the Stephen and Laurel Brown Foundation. It is produced at Upper House in Madison, Wisconsin. Hosted by Dan Hummel, music by Micah Bear, audio engineering by Jesse Koopman, and graphic design by Madeline Ramsey. Please follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn with the handle at Upper House UW.